good to see you all. Hope everybody's recovering from the big party we had last night up here. It was a great time, Christmas banquet. Um, it's good to see you all. A new week, first day of a new week, and uh, uh, to continue our series in, in a new, uh, or continue our study in a new series in Genesis. So, um, just a reminder, we just started Genesis last week. I'll be going through Genesis 1 through 3, and I, I recently looked at it. This should take us uh, through uh, the end of next semester. And so, uh, that's the goal, is to end this lesson, this series, by the end of the spring semester. And of course, we'll take breaks here and there. I'll, I'll probably go on vacation and stuff like that, but uh, that's the plan. And so... Buckle up. We are going to uh, we're going to sit down and really try to get as much out of this as, as we can. Uh, these first, uh, well, let's let's start with prayer and then I'll, I'll I'll explain some more later. Let's pray together. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this day set apart to uh, have rest in Jesus Christ and to uh, have fellowship with one another, to be encouraged by one another, and to be lifted up and renewed in the whole man as we meditate and think upon the gospel. Father, we pray that you would bless the speaker this morning. We pray that your spirit would be at work in him and in all of us as we uh, consider the first, uh, the opening uh, statements of Genesis and uh, this grand and wonderful revelation of what happened at the beginning. And so we pray that you would bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, where, where was I at? So uh, we are going to, uh, you'll see here, we're only going to get into Genesis 1-1 today. Um, uh, that pace will s- speed up a little bit as we go along. Uh, we're not going to do one verse at a time every single week. Hopefully you can see the reason why we do this, but um, uh, that's, that's the plan for today, so just bear with me. Uh, the, opening, uh, the opening chapter of Genesis is very unique, and that's something we're going to talk about in just a minute, and so that's uh, part of the reason why we're going to take one verse today. All right, so Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning God... Right, these are the opening words of the Bible. Now, the first thing that we need to appreciate here as we're going through Genesis 1, and as you all know, Genesis 1 recounts the creation of all things. It's the creation account of the Bible. Now, the first thing we need to appreciate here is that the opening chapter of Genesis is unique. It's unique in comparison to the rest of Holy Scripture. And so as you're reading the opening chapter of Genesis, you're asking the question, is this direct narrative? You know, you look at the rest of Genesis, and it's pretty straightforward. And then you think about chapter 4. Eve conceived and bore Cain, and again she bore his brother Abel. Cain brought the sacrifice of fruit. Abel brought the firstborn of the flock. It's very straightforward. There's not much mystery there. Abel did this, Cain did this, and it's pretty much like that throughout the rest of Genesis, right? So is Genesis 1 like that? Is it just straight, is this just a straight record of what happened? 
Or is it poetry? Is it more like poetry? You might think of Psalm 1. Uh, the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water. So the man is described uh, in symbolic form, like a tree. He's like a tree. Right? He's not a, actually a tree. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water that digs its, root, uh, its roots deep into the ground. And it's fruitful. So what is it? Right? Is it narrative? Is it poetry? What do we have here? Well, as we're asking those questions, we have to understand that neither description can apply to Genesis 1 by itself. Neither one of those descriptions will, are sufficient to describe what's happening in chapter 1. It is history. Genesis 1 is actual history. Paul assumes that Adam was an historical figure. He explains in Romans, he's, he's explaining the entrance of sin into the world. He says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. So when Paul is talking or thinking about the sin in the world, the wickedness in the world, he refers back to history with the first man, Adam. That's where sin came into the world. And of course, Paul goes on to show that... Uh, that the righteousness of Christ, who is the last Adam, brings life to all who believe, right? So Adam brought death, Christ brings life. Uh, so this is history. Jesus also assumes the historical nature of Genesis. Uh, the Pharisees, if you remember, were asking Genesis about divorce. And Jesus responds to them by going back to the beginning. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. So you can see there, uh, Jesus as well assumes, takes for granted that the Genesis creation account is history, actual history. And so it is history. We want to affirm that. But it's also a history of the beginning written in a particular style. It records events, uh, for one thing, it records events in which there were no human witnesses. We weren't there. Moses wasn't there when this happened, and yet here we have this record of what happened in the beginning. And so already there's an element of mystery there. One writer calls Genesis 1 exalted semi-poetic language. Another calls it exalted prose. Uh, why do they call it like this? Why are there descriptions like this? It's because even though it's history, it's not recorded like the rest of Genesis, this history. There's a rhythm, there's a cadence to its structure and style if you read through uh, chapter 1 that's comparative to poetry. Think about, uh, one writer pointed out the fact that ten times we have this reference to the fact that God said, God said, God said. There's also the repetition of evening and morning and then the numbering of the days right after that. There was evening and there was morning, day one. There was evening and there was morning, day two. There was evening and there was morning, day three. Right? You, you can hear that, that cadence, that rhythm. That's not found. Something like this isn't particularly found in the rest of uh, Genesis, even in the rest of the Old Testament, uh, for that matter. 
There are brief pauses. Uh, oh, there's uh, seven times we read, and it was so. There are brief pauses when we're told that God stops and he, perve- he surveys his work and he deems it good. He says, he looks at it and behold, it was good. And, and later he says, it is very, uh, very good. He gives three benedictions or blessings. He blesses the creatures of the sea and the air. He blesses man. He blesses the seventh day. When we're thinking about these blessings, we might think about how the psalmist uh, blesses God in song. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. That's Psalm 41. Or Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. We might also think about how God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You you read about that in Ephesians uh, 1. Or you might think about Revelation chapter 5, where all of creation, every creature in heaven and on earth, they sing to the Lamb and to God on his throne. They say, to God and the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory forever, right? So there's a a doxological element to this, a worship element. In the opening chapter of uh, Genesis, God blesses his creation and it responds by bringing him uh, glory. Genesis 1 is also very, in this way, in that, in, the, in that it's unique, it's a very different style. It's very similar to uh, John chapter 1. Uh, what does John say in chapter 1 of his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything, that, uh, anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, where, where do you hear language like that in the rest of uh, the New Testament? I mean, apart from John. Do you hear that kind of language in the other Gospels? No, you don't. The opening prologue, or the prologue of the Gospel of John, is unique It's in a different style. It's got a category almost all of its own. That's what we have here in Genesis 1. You can't fit Genesis into any any one clear-cut category of style, of language. It's unique. It employs different elements. And so it has a category, it almost takes up, again, a category all its own. Now, it's no accident that John, the gospel writer, begins his... um, gospel within the beginning. And so we're going to be learning from John as we go through uh, chapter 1. Um, I'll stop there. Any questions on that so far? Anybody tracking? Thoughts? Okay, let's keep going. In the beginning, God. All right, so immediately this would serve, this statement would serve as a defense against the creation myths of the surrounding pagan nations, right? So remember, last week we looked at the fact that this, this, these writings, the writings of Moses in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, particularly Genesis, they come to a people who had been redeemed from slavery in Egypt. And so they had lived a life, they were aware of the Egyptian way of life, they were aware of the, surround, the way of life of the surrounding pagan nations. So this, this Genesis account doesn't come into uh, existence in a vacuum. It's coming to a people with a particular culture and a particular way of looking at things. 
And so we have to somewhat get into the mind of the Israelites to understand, the ancient Near East, um, Near Eastern Israelites, to somewhat understand what's going on here. In the beginning, God. Now this, again, this would be a polemic or a defense of the creation account in Genesis against the creation accounts of other nations. The Babylonian, the Egyptian myths of creation, they included, uh, including, and this applies to us today, we have a creation myth in our day. It's a creation myth of evolution or naturalism. What does that say? It says that the material world always was. It's eternal, right? Everything began with you know, specks of dust or two cells or whatever it was. Um, that's, a, that's a myth. That's a, a falsity, right, that the current culture believes. Well, in the Israelites' day, the myths that were, uh, that were dominated the scene there, um, they were composed of having gods who were at war with one another and who were involved in intimate relationships with one another, physical relationships, um, out of which came all the world, everything. So you have a god on one side and a god on the other, and there's, they have war with each other, and one god slays the other god, and then he brings, uh, he brings creation into existence out of, uh, out of the body of that, that particular god. That's an actual account from uh, Babylon, a Babylonian a creation account. Uh, but you see also there, the, the, it's what's present in those myths is also the fact that there's this existing material that just kind of always was there. And you have this idea that there's war between the gods and there's disorder and all types of chaos happening um, um, between the gods and that's, that's where uh, creation began. Uh, Genesis knows of no such thing. It is very different. It's actually uh, putting down all of those other creation myths. God sovereignly brings the universe into existence from nothing by the power of his word, without conflict, without any type of resistance. In the beginning, God. There was no competing forces coming against him when he created. Before there was a beginning, there was only God. He is the Alpha and the Omega without beginning or end. The Gospel writer, uh, John, takes us back even further into eternity. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus speaks of the glory that he had with the Father before the world existed. Before there was time and space, what was there? God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Delighting in one another in absolute perfect reality. Right? That's what was before the world. Before there was even a before, before there was time, there was God. In the beginning, God. Colossians 1, He is before all things. Proverbs 8, and speaking of wisdom, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Ages ago I was set up before the beginning of the earth. There was no existing materials in the beginning with God. There was only God. And that's very different from the creation myths of the surrounding nations. Now this, um, this verse and the other verses uh, that we just mentioned from the New Testament and 
from Proverbs. Um, they affirm creation ex nihilo. Now that's a Latin term that just means creation from nothing. God brought all things into existence from nothing. Right? That is to say that he didn't use any pre-existing matter to create the heavens and the earth. Um, if there was an existing, an existent matter that was there with him, that also would be God, would it not? If there were amoebas there and he shaped and formed them, those amoebas would be God themselves. They would be deserving of worship. Um, and so that is not the case. You read in, uh, also Hebrews 11. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God created all things out of nothing. Now, um, this is important because in our sin, what do we do? What did the Israelites do? What did the Egyptians do? What did the Babylonians do? We make idols of created things, and we worship them as divine. We ascribe eternality to them. We ascribe, describe, or ascribe divine attributes to them, right? That's what the, the current atheistic evolutionary culture does, right? It ascribes an eternal nature to matter, right? In the beginning was not the Word and the Father and the Holy Spirit in their myth. In the beginning was cells, right? Um, I've even heard, uh, I've even read uh, uh, atheists and evolutionists refer to like the beginning uh, matter as a kind of blob, right? And that's really what they believe, that cells collided together and they became a blob and they multiplied and ongoing. Now listen to this. This is um, J. Craig Venter. Um, he is credited as cracking the human genetic code, which happened in 20. 13 or something like that. He wrote a book about his whole experience. He says, I certainly believe that science amplifies and reveals the wonder of the world. But the thought of being a self-replicating bag of chemicals that resulted from four billion years of evolution is far more awesome to me than the notion that a cosmic clockmaker snapped his fingers to put me together. You see the worship of creation that comes out there. God have mercy on his soul, right? He'll be judged for those words if he remains in his unbelief. Uh, in fact, even his reference to God is faulty. He's not a, blind, he's not a clockmaker that snaps his fingers, and we'll look at that more. Um, he's not just a mere clockmaker that puts everything together and then disappears. He's, he's active in creation. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, but you can see there the, the worship of creation. Right? He even calls it a bag of chemicals. Right? You worship a bag in your mind. Um, that's a myth. Right? Genesis 1 gives us reality. In the beginning, God. Right? If God existed alone in the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then everything else that is not God owes him worship, right? brings him glory. Make sense? All right, stop there. Any questions, any thoughts on that? What do you think? Yes, Mike. Um, 
Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we, we pity them for sure, right? Because um, uh, such were some of us, right? Uh, worshiping creation, believing that there was no God or, um, or whatever. Uh, so yeah, um, they, they walk and they live in foolishness, right? The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, but they, they present themselves as, as wise, right? Um, so I think, yeah, certainly mercy, pity is something that we should have for them. Pray that God would convert them, show, open up their eyes. Um, yeah, there's definitely a moral element to that, though, right? For which man will be judged. Um, you, know, you shall not make for yourself the carved image out of anything in the likeness of heaven and, and earth and the sea below and bow down to them and worship them, right? Uh, it's breaking the second commandment. And so that's, um, that's the standard. Yeah, Who, uh, did I see another hand? Yeah, Carolyn. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Those are questions that children ask, right? Well, who, you know, who created God, right? Um, good question. Um, of course, Genesis one gives us the answer, right? In the beginning, God. Yeah. Uh, Jean. <laughs> nice. That's really good. Yeah. 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 Very good. That's a good quote. Um, yeah. So certainly scientists, and we'll talk about this as we go through this study. Hopefully, uh, there's just so much out there um, to read and to explore. Um, I, I kind of get lost in this. I have to force myself to stop and, <laughs> and, and actually work on, you know, the sermon uh, for the morning. Um, there's so much out there. Hopefully we'll do a, try to do a fairly good job of representing all these things. But, yeah, scientists, uh, we'll talk about the scientists and what they find and their attitudes in creation. Very good. Uh, let's keep going. So God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the heavens and the earth here... I think, would, not, would include not only the visible heavens, but the invisible heavens as well. You see, the visible heaven comes into existence, into existence on the second day, right? God creates the expanse in the midst of the waters, and he calls it heaven, right? So the visible heavens in verse 8 um, are brought into existence and named uh, there. Now, the invisible heavens of verse 1 would include... The spiritual realm, that spiritual realm the un, that's unseen to the physical eye, where God's throne is, right? This is the place where angels continually bring glory to God. This is a place where God has set his throne. You might think about Colossians 1, where it says, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, right? Who are those rulers and authorities 
in the invisible realm. That's the angels, right? The host of heaven that worships God, right? Um, God created that in the beginning. You might think about Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, where the people of God, they, they're singing to God and they say, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, and the host of heaven worships you. Right? So God made all things. He made the invisible heavens where the angels dwell, where his throne is, and he made the visible heavens that somewhat remind us or make us think of that invisible realm. That's why they're both have the same name or they share the same name. When you look up or when an Israelite would look up into the stars, the sun, the moon, he would, he would be forced or compelled to think about the invisible realm where God is, right? And so they share the same name, but God made it all. So this is the absolute beginning that we're referring to here, in the beginning God. Uh, in other words, heaven, as, you know, as we know it, where God dwells, also did not always exist, right? There wasn't this realm of angels that was existing alongside God. And that's where God was, and then all, he decided to create the visible heavens and the visible earth, right? If that was the case, then we should worship angels, right? We should. God, no, God created all things. He created angels. He created the invisible realm. In the beginning, God created all things, the heavens and the earth. Now, an Israelite would have heard this, and he probably would have thought, he or she probably would have thought about what? The tent, right? The tabernacle. What was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle? Well, there was a curtain that separated the, the holy place that was outside, but then also the rest of the place where the Israelites were, right? But in that tabernacle, there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest, from everything else. And what was on those curtains in the tabernacle and the temple later? Depictions of angels, right? And then what was over uh, the cherubim, or what was over the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Uh, statues, sculptures of cherubim, angels. So this is they might have thought or would have been compelled to think about that invisible realm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the place where angels, uh, angels dwell, the place where God has set his, his throne. Um, okay, so this includes all things, right? Um, the heaven and the earth spoken of here would then serve as, as Calvin put it, this would serve as God's theater in which God's glory and creation and redemption would be revealed to man. It was this God, this God who was in the beginning and who created all things in the beginning, it was this God who in his free mercy and in his divine wisdom had chosen to dwell with a people, the Israelites. Right? It's this God, not Marduk of Babylon, not... Uh, you know, name another god from the Egyptians and the surrounding nations, not the god of the sun or whatever it was. This, it was this god who had chosen to dwell with uh, his people. It was this god who dwelled with them in the tabernacle, in the holy of holies. He came down to them by his spirit to dwell with them above the ark. And so 
You can see there then, you know, thinking of it in that way, you can see there the, the, the polemical nature of Genesis 1, the defense, the defense of the truth that Genesis 1 would give an ordinary Israelite and would help him or her think about their place in the world, right? It's a defense against the, the false falsities, the untruth of the surrounding nations, and it serves for that, us as well, right? Um, this same God has come to dwell with us, to dwell uh, with you, and I'll say more about that in just a second, but I would like to stop there. Um, you know, we've, we've said a lot from one verse, so uh, any questions or thoughts, comments on that? What do you think? Yes, Jeff. Yeah. That's a great point. And so in, in order to believe in a Big Bang, or in order to even posit a kind of Big Bang theory about the existence of creation and how it came in, into existence in the beginning, you have to believe in God. You have to have um, an eternal, a personal eternal God who is there in the beginning in order to even dream up uh, something like uh, the Big Bang uh, theory. Yeah. Very good. Oh, yes, Unha. Translations, Okay, so the question is about the inerrancy of Scripture and the, and the fact that Scripture is inerrant, God's Word is without uh, error, and yet we have these translations that are somewhat different at times, right? Translations into English or, you know, Chinese, uh, Spanish, whatever it may be, right, that weren't the orig original language that God's Word came, right? So how do we... 
How do we reckon with all that and think about Genesis 1? It's a great question. Um, I'll just say that uh, when we talk about the inerrancy of Scripture, of course, in essence, we're talking about God, the purity of God's Word as it came uh, to Moses and was written down in its original form in Hebrew, right? Certainly that first copy, that first, those first words were perfect. And they were in Hebrew. Now in order for nations to learn about God, Hebrew in particular and Greek in the New Testament had to be translated, right? And that's done by fallible men, right? God doesn't just drop down translations out of the sky. He actually accomplishes that through, through men. And so you do have errors in their work, right? Scribal errors, as they're called, where they add and, you know, make something plural when it, in the original perhaps it was singular, something like that. Um, and we have to reckon with those things. Um, but we shouldn't be afraid of them, right? Right? Uh, God preserves his word by his wise and holy providence so that when you open your Bibles, and there are good translations and there are bad translations, and I think the Holy Spirit helps us, has helped the church over time to understand which are which. The ESV, for example, is a good translation. Because God is good, because God is eternal and unchangeable, because he properly cares for his word, we can have confidence, I can have confidence that all of us, that when I open Genesis 1, I'm hearing from the Lord himself, right? Even though it came originally in, in Hebrew. Um, and so there's, there's that, I and mean, that's, that's a great question. It's a question that the church has been wrestling with for you know, a long time. Um, when we think about those errors, those scribal errors, there's lots of them, but a lot of them are unimportant. They, they don't make a difference in the text, right? There's a couple that in terms of, if you went one way or the other, yes, in terms of doctrine, it might shape it a little bit, right? Those are very few. Most of the errors that are found from the scribal tradition, from them copying text over and over and over again, are, you know, uh, capital, you know, or not capitalizing necessarily, but like, um, adding a the, right, or taking out a the or an article. I mean, you, you go one or the other, it's not going to affect doctrine. It's not going to affect the gospel in any way. And we also have thousands of manuscripts, right, which is unheard of when you're thinking about ancient Near Eastern texts, right? Um, and so God preserves his word. He preserves his word. He makes sure that his people get his word and of a faithful translation of his word. Um, now, when you, your other question was about the heavens and the earth. Um, the rest of scripture affirms uh, what we're claiming, right? That God made all things. That he made the invisible heavens. He made heaven itself. He made the sun, the moon, and the stars. He made all of the earth as we know it. He is in the beginning. He is before all things, right? Um, and so uh, I, I think it's warranted to assume or to believe that when God is saying in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it, it includes all things. 
Um, it makes sense with the rest of Scripture, um, and it, it, it helps. I think it helps us understand uh, the rest. Now, the confusion comes in Unha when you're thinking about the name, right? It's the Hebrew Shamim. It's it's in the plural. It, so heavens is a good translation. Um, uh, it's got the same name, right, as the visible heavens, right? So when you think about the heavens, you think, oh, the sky, the sun, the moon, I mean, obviously. But then you're also thinking about, well, but there's also heaven, right? Where God is, where angels are. You know, it might have been helpful if they had different names, you know? We could easily distinguish them, but they don't. And I, there's a reason for that. Um, you know, it draws us up into worship of God, into a place that's, you know, beyond us. That's what the visible heavens are. It's, it's a mysterious place that's well beyond what we can imagine or experience. We're stuck here on the ground. We're drawn up to the God of heaven who's beyond us, above us. Does that, does that all make sense? I, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. So, yeah, you've got to, and you have to reckon with the fact there are bad translations, right? There are bad translations. So you've got the RSV, the ESV, um, the NASB, New American Standard. Those are solid translations, the King James, right? The New King James. Now, once you get outside of that, that's when you're starting to get into a little bit of trouble, even NIV, right? Okay, well then, yeah, Korean Bible. I didn't think about that. Yeah, maybe some of the Korean translations aren't uh, quite as good. Well, just, I guess you just have to balance them with what you have, you know, the English. Sure, sure. Well, that's a great question. It's a great observation, Unha. I just know that God is good, right? He's good. He knows his people needs his word. He gives it to them. He will give it to them. He's faithful, right? He's not going to deceive people. Uh, his, his people. He knows his sheep. We hear his voice. When I open a bad translation, I'm reading it. That's not my shepherd's voice, right? Like something's wrong here. And he does that in all of us. So, yeah, just... Believe in that in that truth. We're running out of time, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, yeah. So, yes, 
Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that as we go along in this series, Unha. The theories that uh, scientists propose are just that. They're theories, right? But, and even the laws that they propose, they aren't like God's law, right? Uh, they're fallible. They're interpretations of God's word. They're commentaries on God's word. And so we have to keep that, uh, we have to hold all those into account. Okay, well, let's, I, I want to say one more thing. We're running out of time. Sorry, if, hold your questions till next time, or you can come up to me after the uh, lesson. Last thing I want to say is this. Um, the Israelite would have seen, understood from these words that this God was dwelling with them, was with them in the Holy of Holies, in the tent, right? The creator God had chosen to dwell with him by uh, his spirit. And that tabernacling of God with his people, of course, was a foreshadowing of Christ, right? Of the Christmas story of the creator God, Jesus Christ, the son of God, coming into human flesh and dwelling with us, coming near to us to save us, to die for us, right? It's this God, the God who was in the beginning, who took on human flesh and dwelled among us, right? And so uh, we can have hope. Right? Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The same God who creates all things and sustains all of them is the same God who is dwelling inside of you, who is with you and protecting you, is with the church, protecting his word, giving the church his word. Right? Now, I find that comforting. <laughs> I think that's the point. And so... Um, uh, well, let's stop there. We'll, let's pray together. We, gotta, we have to go. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, the truths of Holy Scripture. We do pray as we go through this uh, series that you would uh, help us to uh, lay hold of the truth, to grasp it in all of its glory and give us a better defense of the gospel against the myths of the world. Father, prepare our hearts now for worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.